Welcome to the podcast for Wenton Baptist Church. I pray God uses this message to bless you in Jesus' name. Well, have you ever noticed when people don't like each other, there's a greater chance that conflict may happen? It's true. You know, we might say, well, why can't we just get along? We just say the phrase, why can't we all just get along? Uh, you know, why does there have to be so much conflict in the world? While it may be a simple question, the answer to that question has revealed uh, great strife uh, within the human condition. Indeed, if you'll agree with me, people not liking each other has often led to war. We know by that point the feelings of dislike have escalated to full-blown hatred of the other person, disdain and misunderstanding, and so much tragedy has occurred because of war. Just take, for example, the war that was called the War of Wars, the war to end all wars, World War I. It was started, can you believe it, because a group of people didn't like another group of people. And then it escalated into uh, Duke Archibald and his wife getting assassinated. There's a picture here. Uh, this is a picture of, of Duke Archibald and his wife there. This is just before they got assassinated. And they were... Um, Austria invaded Serbia, and then Russia, was, who was Serbia's ally, began to mobilize, and then Germany declared war on Russia because they were allies of Austria. It kept escalating and escalating. Then France went to war against Germany, and uh, you know Germany attacked France through Belgium, and then, uh, which was Britain's ally, so Britain had to get involved. And then Japan got involved because they were Britain's ally, and it was just initially begun with, with the Serbs not liking uh, the people from Austria. But it's much more complex, I understand that. But I say that to illustrate in a lot of ways, we battle against, thank you, Joe, we battle against many things in our lives, and a lot of it has to do with living in unity and loving others. And James was aware of this as he wrote his letter. Now, as we get into the fourth chapter of James, I want to continue to remind you that James is a very, very practical book. There's a lot of things that we are called to do in the book of James. So there's a practical side to it. And hopefully, as you've been looking at it and you've got been kind of going through it, and you understand, hey, there's a lot to this. And James was unpacking that for the church then and for uh, the church now. James doesn't mince words. In our passage this morning, we're going to see a picture of an entirely different war. A greater war, if you will, that I think. A greater war that we're all facing that involves you and I, the body of Christ. And James challenges us that in order to win this war, we must understand what got us there in the first place? What got us there in this war that we're in? And so we must understand that we're indeed in a war. We're in a war for the very souls of our churches. We're in a war for the very soul of our nation. We're in a war for the people in our world, the souls in our world. You see, in our passage this morning, we're going to see a, a picture of an entirely different war. And James challenges us to understand that in order for us, we must understand that what got us there in the first place. And you must understand that we are indeed in a war. We really are. It's time to fight. It's much bigger than any war we've been in. And so for you and I, the church, the time to fight is now. 
We must get involved. We must not stand back. We must not be on the sidelines anymore. We have to engage Christian in the culture. We must engage in fighting for our lives. Now, James points out to the church and to the church now there are three primary foes that we are at war against. If we understand this, then our battle will be much clearer. We can understand how to fight, who we are fighting against, and why we are doing it. Our text this morning shows us that there are three wars we're fighting against. We're fighting in a war against each other. We're fighting in a war against ourselves. And we're even fighting in a war against the very things of God. Let's look at the first war that we're in. We are at war with each other. James says this, What is the source of wars and fights among you? He goes down in verse 11 there. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you, lo- if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? You see, we must ask ourselves the question, why do believers get into conflict with each, with each other so much? More importantly, we, we wince at how that conflict, what it does to the church, why it causes so much pain in the church. Ooh, I wish that person wouldn't have said that, or ooh, I, would, I wish we really would have had that conflict because now we're here, and it's painful. It's painful. Why does this happen? You know, a person gets mad here, and a person gets mad here. I'm talking about within the body of Christ. Or if someone says something about somebody here, and well, I, they said something about that person, so, um, well, you know, I'm not going to speak to them at church anymore. Or, or an attitude we don't like of that, you know, I don't like that church down the street. You know, well, I'm not going to go there anymore because of that preacher. Or that lady goes there, like that barbecue sauce, so I'm going to move on a little bit. I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, this church has, has, has suffered, and it wounds, it wounds the church. And we're no different. We, we suffer wounds sometime from that kind of war. There are still memories of conflict within this church. I've heard stories. You know, people move on. The, the church continues on, and hopefully we learn. And now James is calling us here to learn the lesson now. We need to learn this lesson now. And so, you know, the idea is... If we don't, if we keep fighting battles like this, Satan's going to keep winning. And Satan wants to steal our joy. Satan wants to take away what belongs to the Lord. He wants to destroy our fellowship. He does. If there's one thing that the pandemic has revealed, it's how bitterly divisive it can be. I want to go ahead and use this mic, Joe, if we can. And so... It's not God's heart to be divisive. One of the prayers Jesus prayed uh, for you and I was that we may be one together. Together. Why is church so important that we win this war with each other? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that, that we win this war? Jesus gave us himself the answer. He gave us the answer. Hey, you know what? Here, here's why it's important that you, you're united. He not only prayed it, prayed it then, but he's praying it now for you and I as he intercedes for us and the Father in heaven. He says this in John 17, 20 through 21. He says this. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us 
So why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. John 17, 20 through 21. It should be on your screen there in just a moment. Uh, and the psalmist also wrote this in Psalm 133, verse 1. He says this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Can you get an amen there? Yes, we need that. Now, I sent this verse to my son because he grew a beard. And, and, and the next couple of verses talk about oil flowing down from Aaron, the head of, into his Aaron's beard. But it was, it was kind of a, a cute thing. But I, I was emphasizing unity, no doubt, as well. Uh, my son has grown up. I can't imagine that he's got a beard now, but he does. But he talks about this, you know, and, and unity is important. It, it's good and pleasant. Now, we all know that God's people can get into conflict. It happens. Jesus' own disciples, they, they fussed about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They did. They fussed about it. Hey, Jesus, who's going to be on your right? Who's going to be on your left? Okay? And these are the disciples we're talking about. There were churches in the New Testament that got, in, uh, that got into it. The church at Galatia, they were biting and devouring one another. It's in the screen. Uh, Galatians 5.15. Uh, the church at Ephesus needed spiritual unity. Uh, that's in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And the church at Philippi, two women couldn't get along with each other. So, so what's the remedy? If, there's, if it happened in the New Testament, it's happening now. Well, what's the remedy? What, what do we do? We've often seen efforts for unity become short-lived or insincere. Now, some of you may remember, uh, again, dating myself, but you may remember the Coke commercial several decades ago where people were captivated by the unifying message back in 1971. Here you go. You can Google it. I won't play the song, but this song was about I like to give the world a Coke. It was pretty neat. I like to give the world a Coke. People were all, were all happy. It was just after the peace and love uh, era there. So they, Coke came out with this commercial of showing unity. Hey, it's great. I want to give the whole world a Coke. It was this message of unity, and it was great. And so now, fast forward, Coke is woke, okay? Woca-Cola. And we'll get off that real quick, but it's about, you know, they're on this disastrous bandwagon of the critical race theory, and it's being pu pushed upon an unsuspecting generation. All lives matter, amen? All lives matter. For God so loved the world, okay? It's, it, he asks us to change, but hey, isn't that the point? It, it absolutely is. Uh, he asks us to change, but unity becomes short-lived. When that happens, when we battle with each other, and sadly, even the church fails to get along. The, church, the world sees this. What do they do? They turn away. Well, they're not getting along. They're, they're fighting in there. How do they have any answers in, inside of them when the solutions for the problems in my life? If they can't get along, what, what hope do I have? So they move on. If our church closed its doors today, would anyone notice? We are at war with ourselves also, we're, we're at war with each other, but we're also at war with ourselves. Watch this, John, James 4, 1 through 3, he goes on. He gives the answer here. He says, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You, do, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see, a greater war is happening within us. We are battling against the self, us, and against the desires of our own person, uh, what we want, what we can get. Truly, if you look deep down in your heart, what motivates you? What are, what are you motivated by? The reason we can't get along with each other um, is oftentimes we look out for our own interests instead of the interests of others. 
Well, how, how do we know this? Certainly none of us want to be in the category of selfish. Well, there's a selfish person. No one, no one wants that label. But how do we know that these are some three characteristics that you might say that there are signs of some selfishness? Okay, number one, you expect others to do for you more than you move towards doing for others. Do for me. Uh, I don't want to do for you. You, you do for me. You know, for example, uh, you know, you're driving along on the, on the highway and someone's, uh, they slow down in front of you. And, and, and what do you, what's your reaction? I wish they would just get out of my way. Well, why, why do they have to drive so slow? You know, it's just a, a simple illustration there, but it proves the point. You know, we're focused more on about me and my needs. i got to hurry, 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 go, go, go. Well, that person may have just gone through something traumatic, and they're, they're not even caring about how fast they drive. Um, we, we just we don't know that. So what do we think about the needs uh, of others? You struggle with patience. If you're struggling with patience right now, you may want to check uh, your, 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 yourself, your selfish meter, okay? Are you thinking about others? Are you wanting to be, is it about me, 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 me? Let's go, 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 go. Pause, hit the pause button, wait for others, stop and listen. We talked in Sunday school this morning about speaking into others' lives, about sharing the gospel with them, about caring about who they were. Just to stop a, stop a minute before they are doing the groceries and going across with the, with the items there. And, and you look, at, look them in the eye and say, how are you doing? Uh, thank you for doing that, for, for getting my groceries for me. Uh, or checking things out, or taking my meal and my order, speak to the person as an individual, as opposed to them just allowing them to serve you. Number two, uh, you never value any other people's opinion, so much so that you you know, you, you rarely ask for their opinion. Oh, well, what do you think about that? That maybe your your, your selfish meter might be kind of clicking up a little bit. Uh, y- you may think when you see other people make a mistake, you might say, uh, "Oh, I." I, I, I did that, and I responded a different way. And you just kind of do that. Your selfish meter might be a little up. Instead, maybe you want to ask the question, well, well, what do you think about it? Um, you're speaking to your spouse or your, your, your child or your, your parent, your friend, your coworker. Well, what do you think about that? Uh, what, you value their opinion. People don't care how much you, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, the old cliche. It's true. Uh, do, do you care about other people? You value other people's opinion. Number three, you feel like no one is going through as much pain or trouble as you are. Now, now I know we all experience pain. I'm not minimizing your pain that you're going through. Uh, many of us in this room have been through tremendous pain. But I remember visiting several people uh, who've been on their bed racked with cancer, and they, they, had, they had the ability, the ability to ask me how I was doing. How's your day go- going? It didn't matter, really. I thought, why are you even asking me about my day when you're uh, racked in pain on your bed and you're going through this cancer, you're suffering so much, yet you have the wherewithal to even ask me how my, I'm doing? That's selflessness. That's, that's beyond being selfless. They're, they're thinking about the other person. So in your pain, uh, maybe there's, there's certainly someone that has gone through worse than you are. I'm not minimizing your pain. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. He took the greatest pain ever. He took the wrath of God for all of us. Nothing can compare to the pain that he went through. So we need to understand that. Are we thinking about our own suffering? Uh, woe is me, woe is me. Or are, we, are our eyes, are, is our gaze fixed upon other people and the things that they are going through? Mercy is needed here. Are we showing mercy to other people in their time of need? So selfish desires, James saying this, selfish desires is leading, leads to oftentimes to selfish actions. James even points out here that it can, it can lead to fighting. 
to, to, to coveting or wanting other people's stuff. You know, you, you, you don't have the biggest thing or the, the next biggest thing. So you, the, the one-upmanship we do kind of in the West, uh, I'm going to have a bigger this or a bigger that, or I'm going to have a fancier this or a newer that, you know. It's a one-upmanship. One up and so it leads to that kind of thing. Uh, selfish desires do. We'll focus on us. Uh, and sometimes James said, hey, you know what? It even leads to murdering. Uh, but even after all that, the selfish desires, watch this, can lead us to wrongfully prayed prayers. Yes, we can pray prayer the wrong way. Uh, we ask for things that God that might point to our selfish desires. So I want to ask you to check your spirit on this. Do you ask, when you pray to God, do you use the phrase, help me, more than you use the phrase, help them or help other people? Uh, we all do it, okay? And, and it's not wrong to pray for yourself. It's okay. Uh, God, God wants us to, to come to him with our needs. But is it all we're focused on? Lord, help me do this. Lord, help me do that. Lord, please help me do this. And what about other people? Where are other people in your prayer life? God wants you to focus on them as well. And you'll, your selfish meter will go down. What are you doing? In the movie uh, Captain America, you might remember this, Captain America, the determining factor in deciding whether or not uh, this guy, Steve Rogers, uh, was the right choice to don the title of Captain America is when uh, Colonel Chester Phillips tossed a grenade at Rogers and said, and uh, a, a small group of soldiers. Now, all the soldiers there, what did they do? They dispersed in opposite directions. But what did, what did uh, Steve Rogers do? He landed on, on that grenade uh, in order to shield his comrades from the blast. Although the grenade was not live, that the lone act of bravery erased any uncertainties pertaining to whether they should make Rogers become Captain America. Here was our guy. Here was our man. He was willing to sacrifice himself for us. Well, now this movie scene illustrates a, an intangible virtues that are only possessed by you know, the best and brightest of soldiers. Courage, self-sacrifice, and compassion are all the qualities which define a U.S. soldier. They're also the adjectives used to describe the U.S. Medal of Honor, Honor winners. Ross A. McGinnis and Michael Mansoor, they are two men who, like the aforementioned superhero, dove on top of a grenade to protect their comrades from imminent danger. But unlike their fictional counterpart, the grenades these two men jumped on were live and ready to blow, and they lost their lives. They paid the ultimate price they gave up their lives. And Jesus says this of us too. We must live in the same way Jesus lived. We must live to serve other people. Matthew 20, 25 to 28 says this. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We must serve and not be served. Just as our Lord did, we must be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others, just as he did. We must understand that we are with war. We're at war with each other, with ourselves, and we've got to serve each other to get rid of this stuff. We've got to start serving each other and, and getting ourselves out of the way. And finally, we must see that our rebellion leads to, our, our rebellion can, can lead to a war with God. We, are, we can be at war with God sometimes. It says here in verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
Or do you think it is without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God. The Lord, before the Lord, he will exalt you. Wow, those are tough words from James to the church. They sting. These are really hard words. They sting. We often go too easy on what it means to be worldly. For a believer to be at war with God, they actually have to be at peace with the world. Did you hear that? For a believer to be at war with God, they have to be at peace with the world. And that doesn't happen overnight. We start out incredibly on fire for God, for Jesus. We're going to do things for God, for his kingdom. We love the word. We love being in church and all these wonderful things. We love all things about Jesus and his kingdom. Things are clicking. We're telling people about how awesome it is to know Jesus and all these things and what he's done for us. But then we get a taste of the world. Well, that's kind of good. Well, that's kind of good. Well, you know what? That's not so bad. Uh, we kind of justify it. Now, I say this not to condemn or make you think, okay, here it comes. Here's the lecture again. Uh, here we go. I'm just going to beat me up. That's not me. I'm not, not doing that. That's not the way sin works. You see, at first, Satan tempts us with just a little taste. Just a little taste of how, how, what, the, what the world is like, and then he'll, he'll capture us, and you start to justify things in your head, right? We all do. Oh, that, that wasn't so bad. Uh, I'll have that... Uh, I have that Twinkie or whatever it is that, that Pastor Derek eats sometimes. Uh, it's, it's not that bad. And, uh, oh, well, look what's going on here. Uh, see? It's just a little bit. And it starts to tempt us. And you start to justify things that you'd never do in the past. You know, James calls his, his audience adulterers. That's very strong language. He calls them cheaters. It's like James telling you, uh, I, I know about that adultery that you did. I know about that time that you cheated on your spouse. Whoa. So what he's saying here, it's pretty strong language. It's an Old Testament concept where, where uh, Israel, the nation of Israel was seen as cheating on God. So the, the most intimate relationship we can have, marriage, James said, hey, you're adulterers. You're cheating on God. You're, uh, it spoke of Israel as whoring after other gods, playing the harlot, disobeying the Lord again and again. If you are friends with the world, James is saying you're an adulterer. You're cheating on God. But how, how does adultery start? Let's just be honest. How does adultery start? My seminary professor gave us like 22 steps to, to how adultery starts from the beginning to all the way to full-blown full adultery. So listen up. Guard your heart. You know, the first steps are very innocent, right? Casual meetings. You're sharing your pains and frustrations to, to someone of the opposite sex, you know. It, 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 it's pretty innocent. And, and then, then you get longer looks. You start to look at that person a little longer. Oh, well, they look kind of nice. And, and then it becomes, it, it moves to dwelling upon that person and, and imagining what life would be like with them as opposed to the person that you're with. This is how adultery begins. 
And then you get emotionally invested with them. And you might have a emotion, an emotional attachment to them. You get excited and you laugh with them. And then it becomes an emotional affair. And before you know it, you've compromised everything you know and you are in an affair. Violating the vows you took with your spouse. It didn't start out like that overnight. That's what happens with sin. That's what James says friendship with the world is like. It's slow. It's gradual. It's a drift away from the Lord. So we need to check our spirit, believer. We need to check our spirit. How, where are we with God? Are we on a slow fade? Are we drifting away? Paul Harvey shared of how Eskimo hunters hunted wolves. Have you heard this before? Now, it's a bit shocking, but it points to a truth. The Eskimo would place a knife in the snow, and he would freeze it over with rabbit's blood. And then the unsuspecting wolf, hungry for it, would come and lick the blade. He'd start licking the, the, the frozen rabbit's blood. And before long, the wolf would not be licking the rabbit's blood anymore. But the, as the frozen layer on the blade thawed away, it would nick his tongue and cut the wolf. And he would be eventually licking his own blood. And the cycle would continue until... It wasn't the rabbit's blood anymore, and the, the wolf would eventually die bleeding to death because it was his own blood. For you and I, if we become friends with the world, sin will overtake us and destroy us bit by bit until we don't realize it, we're, we're, we'll be, we won't be aware of it, and then it's too late. It's already taken foothold in our lives. The only remedy is to heed the words of James in the last few verses of our passage, and he says this. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. What a promise. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see, if we submit to God, God, your will, not mine. That's what submission looks like. God, your, your will, your way, not mine. Others before me, resist the devil. How did Jesus resist the devil? Well, he used scripture. He quoted scripture. We memorized the passage in, in Sunday school this morning. First Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Yeah, First Peter 3.15. That's something like that. I got it close. So you can put it in your heart. Allison did a great job in Sunday school. So we need to, and it's hard to memorize scripture. We've got to work at putting scripture in our heart. Why? To resist the devil. If we don't know God's word, the devil can feed us lies. Amen? He can. We need to know the truth. Recite scripture. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this. I have treasured your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. I know your word, God, so I'm not going to go towards the world. I know your word, so I'm not going to go towards that thing that's very tempting to me. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. What a promise. Cleanse your hands. Actually do something. Yet we have these words and these ideas in our head, but we've got to do something, church. We've got to cleanse our hands. The temple was still active, we believe, in the book of James. It was one of the first books written. So they were, uh, they were familiar with uh, temple cleansing and that kind of thing. And James was saying, cleanse your hands. Get the junk out of your life. Are you bringing things into your life that are slowly taking you away from God? Are you bringing things into your family's life that are slowly pulling them away from God? Purify your hearts is much more than just lip 
service once you walk out of here. It absolutely is. Your spouse, your kids, your family, they're going to see whether you mean business and getting the world out of your life. What is in your house that's part of the world that's taking you away from God? It's going to get expensive. You have to cancel some things. Do we live in holiness or not? God wants us to humble ourselves, admit our need. And what's he going to do? It's a great promise. He's going to exalt us. He's going to lift us up because we have humbled ourselves in God. We need you. It's not about us, Lord. It's about you. It's all about bringing glory to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. God wants us to understand that. Friendship with the world is being an enemy of God. Humble yourself. Admit your need. And what does God do? He's going to lift you up. He's going to exalt you. It's not about our glory. It's about his glory. But God's going to work, do a work in you, and he's going to shine through you. Get the stuff out of the way. James is saying, submit yourselves to God. Resist the, resist the devil. He's going to flee, and you're going to walk in, in holiness. So that's the point. That's the point of church is to glorify God, to bring glory to God's kingdom, to build God's kingdom. We do this church because people are looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They want to know if the, what's through the doors of those church will mean anything to their lives. Maybe you're saying that. Yes, it does. Jesus Christ is the answer. It's the only, he's the only answer. We have the words of hope. Can we carry that to the world? Yes, we can. We've got to take care of things in our life first, or what we say is not going to matter. Let's pray.